Welcome to episode five of season two of the OrthoPlug podcast, the show where we learn from some of the most inspiring orthopedic surgeons in the country who either come from underrepresented backgrounds or are actively supporting those that do. This is a fantastic episode where we speak with Dr. Chanel Brown, who is an intern at Duke University, and here she describes what she found so appealing about orthopedics. So I always tell people, I feel like when I came into medical school and I talked to all the like the seniors everybody seemed like they had this cloud departing moment of oh my god you know i did my peach rotation and that's all i ever wanted to do after that moment i knew that was you know where my heart was i never had that and she touches on her personal experience navigating imposter syndrome i'm sitting in this room with there was four black people in the class 175 so mind you me sitting in this room and looking around you know knowing you know, you make assumptions. Before we dive into the episode, I have one favor to ask. The best thing that you can do to support the podcast is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. By doing so, you'll be helping the podcast grow and directly contributing to my ability to bring more guests on, continue to improve production value, and just ultimately make the show better for you. All right, let's hop in. Ultimately decided you wanted to go into medical school sophomore year of college, but wanted to kind of boost your application, or is is, is that the reason where why the public health master's came into play or was that because you always wanted to get a master's in public health? Well, so honestly, I kind of got forced into a, a gap year and something that, you know, this is where I feel like you having good, um, especially as a minority student, having good pre-health advisors. I don't think my pre-health advisor in college was that, uh, was that good. Also, you know, if you didn't have a 4.0 GPA and your MCAT score wasn't through the roof, they kind of just switch you to the side, especially because we didn't have a health program, like a medical school program, anything at, our, at my college. So I knew that I had to retake the MCAT. I took the MCAT three times. Um, and it was kind of, it was a little devastating that I wasn't able to go right into medical school because that was a plan, right? Once I knew I wanted to go to medical school, I took all my prerequisites. I, you know, basically did all the things. And then once I saw, once senior year began, we had to put in the application and everything. I saw, okay, honestly, I'm not ready to apply right now. Like I need to retake the MCAT, I need to relook at my, um, my application and really think about this process and think about what's ahead and what tools do I need that I don't currently have. And that's when I really found like why mentors are so important. Uh, one of my biggest mentors was a person who I was friends with her in college and she had went into medical school straight through college. And so I talked to her a lot about the process and just stayed in contact with her. And then finally was able to connect with other people at medical schools and who sat on admissions and did different conferences and internships just to get more insight into the process. So I could feel more prepared. And the thing I didn't realize was if I wasn't ready to apply as soon as I graduated college, you're kind of automatically taking two years off. So I wasn't ready to apply as soon as I graduated. So that's how I ended up taking the two years off. But in hindsight, it it worked in my benefit. I definitely needed that time off. Um, just so you know, you learn more about yourself. And I really was able to, you know, solidify, okay, this is something that I want to do. Um, and these are the things I need to have and to obtain before I get there. And I always wanted to get my master's in public health, not necessarily before or after, but I think it worked out getting it before um, medical school, just because it gave me a different lens and perspective of different things. And my approach to things were different just because I had those skills in my back pocket. And population health, community health is one of my passions. So I knew it was something that I wanted to learn about and understand. Um, so being able to do that beforehand really uh, worked out to my benefit. Also working at SDNA was really beneficial. It was a very humbling job. And just being able to interact with residents and interact with patients um, throughout the day, I think prepared me once I got to medical school and did, you know, first year you do your first clinical skills test and you're a little nervous because you never talked to a patient, you never touched anybody like that before. Um, but I like working, you know, in the nursing home and being with people during some of their most vulnerable moments, I was very comfortable with that aspect. So I feel like that gave me a little leg up and I was really able to focus more on the study and not get so worked up about the clinical skills part so early on coming in. So I think in hindsight, it really worked out to my benefit and everything happens for a reason. Um, and I'm glad, you know, ultimately I was able to take that time off. 
Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I, I really appreciate your you know vulnerability with like sharing your experience going in. And I have a similar thing. I took two years off. I took the uh, the MCAT twice. Um, I did basically like research for basically the full two years. Um, and it was another thing where it was just like, you know, I was about to graduate. And then that was when I started actually looking into what it really takes to go to get into medical school and all this stuff. And I was, I even was going to be taking my MCAT so late that it would have put me so late into the application cycle of that first year that it just mm, would have been yep. a mess. And so, um, you know, just to like reiterate your point of having mentors is so huge to be able to share how exactly this process goes, especially for any pre-meds listening. Um, it's, it's, it's huge. Um, and also for anybody who feels like defeated by taking a gap year or by having to take the MCAT multiple times, you know, Chanel is a orthopedic surgery uh, resident at Duke. Um, <laughs> and you know what I mean? So uh, take, take that with whatever you, you, you want, but um, I really appreciate again, your, your vulnerability with that, because I think a lot of people share, share that story. So you um, like went to undergrad like at Miami first. and then um, mm -hmm. George Washington for your master's of public health. Um, but then it was Toledo for med school, right? Yes. And I know that you were doing a whole lot of the stuff that you were just mentioning in terms of the community involvement at Toledo. Um, mm -hmm. I know you are like admit the director of administration for your community care clinics. Um, mm -hmm. So. And I, I think the, the reason I saw that is I saw a post of you and like one of your colleagues presenting at a society um, of like the student run clinics. Um, and so, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. I do a little deep <laughs> digging um, for this. Yeah. But <laughs> how has your your passion for this community service like influenced your career so far? And then what's kind of the plan for how you're going to implement your this passion moving forward in your career? Um, I think the biggest part of how it's like influence, I think just my trajectory is just, I know I want it to be a part of my career in some way, in some form. And I feel like I always look for ways that I can incorporate that into my practice, however it's going to look in the future. I think, you know, thinking about community health and thinking about population health, in any surgical field, it's kind of, you know, niche, like it's not common for, you know, usually think of primary care physicians and other uh, specialties that really have a focus and a lens on that. Um, and so not only being in a surgical specialty, but also being in a, like a surgical specialty like orthopedics, you're kind of disconnected from that way of thinking and that mindset. But I always had the perspective of you need people who can be advocates for patients at every table there is. It doesn't matter if you're primary care, it doesn't matter if you're foot doctor, uh, ophthalmologist, it really doesn't matter who you are. And that's part of the issue of just equity in our healthcare system today. It's just, you don't have enough people in all the places that you need to have them. And so I think that kind of hindered, you know, how I tried to you know, navigate where my interests lie when I was going through medical school. Because I came into medical school not knowing what kind of doctor I wanted to be. I knew I was going to be a doctor, but I had no idea. If you would have told me I was going to orthopedics four years ago, I would have looked at you like, you're crazy. Like, there, there's no way I can see myself doing that. Just because I had no idea of what I wanted to do. And so as I started going through, you know, going through different shadowing experiences, doing the different rotations, that's just where my interests lie. And it was a little difficult for me because you have people at home saying, oh, you're too nice to, you know, go into a field like this. Oh, you need to be a primary care doctor. You need to be an OBGYN so you can help our people. You can, you know, do these things. And they knew who I was. They knew that the type of person I am and my passion, you know, when it comes to community health. But at the end of the day, that's not the work that I love. That's not what I fell in love with doing. And I want to love my job. So it's better to bring both your passions together than to try to create different avenues that you don't really have a strong interest in. And so I think now it's allowing me and because I was able to get those skills prior to coming to medical school and knowing kind of different 
avenues I can take it and being a part of different organizations in medical school, I can see how I can do some of those things in my practice, whether it's, you know, incorporating different things, you know, within the clinic that I work in, within the you know, if I go into academics in the institution, you know, certain organizations that I know about in many communities that you combine with that patients can get connected to, really being that segue for patients to get to the resource they need to get to it. I don't necessarily have to be doing the legwork. I don't necessarily have to be the one that's championing, you know, the organizations and starting, you know, things from the ground up. But I can be one of those people that can be the advocate that can be, you know, that segue for people to get to from point A to point B. And I think that's what's most important. Um, and that's what really pushed me to, you know, get to where I am now. And then now as I go through residency, now I'm gaining my technical skill and being able to see, okay, this is how I can truly incorporate into my practice and start narrowing, you know, where my interest lies and where I really want my work to be done um, and seeing, you know, what things will fit in that way. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I love like when you're able to be so confident in yourself that you're not going to like sacrifice a passion because it's not like a common thing or because you may have not seen it done before in the way that you want to do it. You know, like bringing orthopedics and interest in community health like together. Like like you said, you would think of like family medicine or something like that but you're so confident in yourself right. and in your own personal goals and what you see for the future of your personal career that you're just like, I'm going to merge the two things that I'm passionate about. And I think that's how you're going to have the most fulfilling career. So I'm super excited to see the direction that that goes. Um, you briefly mentioned that, you know, you came into medical school, like completely undifferentiated. Um, and then through certain experiences, certain shadowing experiences is when like ortho clicks. What was it like? What it was? Was it like a moment? Was it like a person that you interacted with? A, a case that you saw? What what kind of led up into that? Like, oh, it's ortho for me. Yeah. Or was it just I don't like anything else? <laughs> <laughs> so I always tell people I feel like when I came into medical school and I talked to all the like the seniors, everybody seemed like they had this cloud departing moment of, oh my god, you know I did my peds rotation and that's all I ever wanted to do after that moment. I knew that was, you know, where my heart was. I never had that. Like I didn't have, oh, I saw the one first ortho case. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do anything else. I got my first exposure in ortho really freshman year, my freshman year, uh, first year in med school. And um, I was able to shadow a couple of doctors and I really liked that. I thought it was really cool. I had a couple of shadowing experiences uh, for surgical specialties, like in college and everything through internships. Um, but that was my first time really being in the OR, you know, seeing how different ortho was. And I really liked it. I didn't necessarily think, oh, this is something that I want to do. It was just something that I really liked. And I think after I went through third year and I started going through the rotations and then I had uh, my two ortho rotations, I was like, okay, like I really like this. Like I'm, I really find myself, find interest in, I really love how patients do well, how you can see something happen in the OR and then two weeks later you come into clinic and your whole demeanor is just so much better just because you got your functionality back. You can go back to doing, you know, X, Y, and Z things. You work with a wide range of patients, you know, you can go into all different types of lanes when it comes to ortho. So that's what really drew me to the field. It was every time I got exposure to it, it was something else that drew me closer and closer versus when I was going through the other rotations. Oh, I liked it. Oh, it was cool, but it wasn't drawing me in how ortho was. And I feel like, again, especially during third year, until I had the confidence that like, no, I can be a person who goes into orthopedics and still be me, I kind of found myself trying to almost find reasons why I shouldn't go into ortho. And on top of how competitive it was and hearing about people who applied the year before me, it's like, okay, well, people are telling me, you know, maybe you shouldn't do this, you know, try to find something else. But I just came to the realization, I don't like anything else as much as I like, you know, ortho. And I know I'll be good at it. I know this is something I want to be happy in my career and, you know, enjoy what I do and enjoy, you know, my interactions uh, with people. 
and seeing how how much you know the attendees were gratified from their career really stood out to me. I feel like orthopedics was one of the very few fields where you know the attendees loved coming to work, no matter where I went throughout my sub eyes, throughout the different um, rotations in Toledo, just everybody was just happy, you know, and they loved what they do. And I could understand why that was. So I feel like once I got that confirmation, okay, this is something I know I can do, you know, this is something I want to do, and I know I'm going to love it, you know, I like it more than anything else. That really- yeah, that's, that's amazing. I love how you were able to overcome the um, you know, it, do I fit the 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 mold for ortho? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of like, you know, one of the challenges that you know not only black medical students have, but female medical students have, and you happen to be both of those. And so I can only imagine, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, having the like thoughts of you know. I don't see that many people who look like me or having other people mm-hmm. giving you the kind of like nonchalant, you sure kind of thing, you know, the little, right, yeah. the, whatever kind of what, um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm interested into like, how, how did you overcome that kind of aspect of things, especially as like a black female? And there's actually a, so I was in the OR a few days ago and, um, my, uh, my junior resident that I was with on trauma is a woman, and um, mm-hmm. she was talking about how her next rotation she's gonna be on trauma again. It's just crazy two back to back trauma rotations, but um, and she's gonna be her senior is gonna be a woman, and she's gonna be with Doctor Hidden, who's our attending, and she's a woman, and so it's like a team oh, wow. of like all girls, and so like she was just talking about like how hype that's gonna be, and in our um <laughs> our surgery uh or our um the uh our physician assistant was like oh my goodness like that's gonna be y'all y'all are gonna be crazy i don't know what i'm gonna do like i'm about to be like the only guy you know around right. here or whatever for one junior right <laughs> yeah. exactly and that was basically yeah. like the juniors like like my my resident that was like her response was like yo that's literally me every single day like i'm literally the every only day. female and so like yep. that was uh, like an aha moment for me even you know because i i think every everybody kind of gets into the thing where they're only thinking of themselves and i'm like well i'm like the only black person mm-hmm. here like you know what i mean <laughs> but like there's so much that goes into being a black women pers- a black woman pursuing orthopedics like it's like the double-edged mm-hmm. sword of this kind of dynamic that we're talking about and so like how did you overcome that barrier of being like by definition unique in this field yeah. Um, honestly, to be completely honest, I feel like it's something I'm still overcoming just because I feel like you go into these different stages of, okay, I got it. Okay, I got it. Because at first it's like, okay, this is what I want to do. And then everybody you meet, I remember second and third year was when, I, when I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. I'm meeting with my mentors at Toledo now, mind you, nobody at Toledo in the orthopedics department is one a woman or two black or mostly of color. So I didn't really have anybody who looked at me at all. I'm the first black person, period, to match into ortho from Toledo. So that's to give you just a little wow. background of like the demographics for orthopedics at Toledo. But Toledo has some very uh, well-known and great positions. So when I would meet with them to just get advice, you know, the first thing that they kind of say without saying is, well, you know, you might be, you know, you might have some chances, although ortho is so competitive because they want more women. And at the end of the day, you're a woman and you're black. But then in my mind, I'm thinking, well, there's a lot of black women that probably are applying to orthopedics. So what's going to make me stand out, you know, from them? And I don't think it really hit me until I kept like every time I would meet with someone, it will come up because in my mind, it's like, I'm just Chanel trying to make it from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get interviews. You know, I'm just trying to match. I'm just trying to do these things as me. But in reality is, no, you're doing these things as you, but you're also you as a black female. And that holds a lot of weight. And I have to be just conscious of that. 
you know, no matter where I am and in the spaces I am in and being aware of, you know, how people perceive that. And I think, you know, sometimes it can be challenging just because that's not always the first thing that's on my mind, but sometimes it's forced to be on my mind just because of all the conversations around it and why there's so much weight, you know, put on there about that. Um, but I think throughout the process, I was so focused on, I want this to happen and I need to figure out how it can happen. And the, you know, lack of confidence or the, you know, not being sure was more about, am I, you know, qualified to be in this space versus am I qualified because I'm a black female is really, you know, are, is someone going to see me and, you know, take me for who I am and want me to be a part of their program. But I was very intentional when it came to interviews and when it came to interacting with programs about, I want to be in a program that's going to take me for me. I don't want to have to, you know, act like someone else just to try to fit a box just so, you know, you can check off, okay, you got a black female, but I have to fit this mold that your program wants me to fit. So I was very intentional about being vocal about that. And I don't want to be in a space, although I'm going to be the only black female in a lot of spaces, I don't want to feel like that. I don't want that to be on my mind because I want to be able to focus on the things I need to learn in order to be a great orthopedic surgeon. And I feel like once you go into those spaces with that in mind and aren't apologetic about the questions you want to ask, and of course there's ways to ask questions and there's ways to you know, get a feel for how the program is being receptive to, you know, your own interest and your own identity. But I think it's something that, you know, us as minorities, especially applying to a field like orthopedics, we have to be intentional about it because at the end of the day, it's kind of out of our hands anyway. It's like, I just want to match. If I can match at a place I want to, that would be great. But at the end of the day, I'm just trying to match. So I'm going to do everything in my power to see what programs would be a good fit for me. And if I end up somewhere where, you know, I'm the first and only one, or, you know, I don't feel accepted for who I am, I still have to be confident who I am and, you know, go about it that way. Luckily, I was able to match into a program where I felt that I felt that I don't recognize that, you know, I'm just, I'm a black female before I'm Chanel, which is, it sounds crazy, but sometimes like that's, it's more on your mind than you think, you know, you mm-hmm. almost hold yourself back in how you talk, how you do things. You know, you don't want to always come off as being wrong about something. Um, and I feel once you have that in your mind, you will really be able to start picking apart these programs. That's that's super helpful, and I I like. It sounds like it's a. It really starts with a self reflection to be able to like build confidence mm-hmm. in yourself, um, to be able to like start thinking of you as you and not you as what a program might want to look at you by, or what you know a field might want to look at you by to meet a quota or whatever, um, and like approaching the work that you do, the questions you ask in interviews, the programs that you seek out mm-hmm. as I am doing this through the lens of Chanel Brown, not as a, you know, a labeled figure, um, allowed you to kind of find that match for you. Um, and I think is going to continue to mm-hmm. allow you to have confidence in spaces and overcome those kind of things of, you know, I don't like, can I be me? Can I talk how I want to talk? Do I have to have mm-hmm. more fear than, you know, the person next to me about getting this question wrong or about looking right. a certain way or whatever, um, just mm-hmm. because of the confidence that you have in yourself. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening, you know, people who are just women, people who are just black, and then people who are black women. Um, and again, like you're a huge role model for, for all of those categories of people. Um, and so I really appreciate that. Um, one thing that I also love that I, I saw when I was doing my digging is um and it's related a little bit to like your commitment to 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 just i guess racial exposure in a way is i looked at one of your posters that was called the case for the um 
edification of minority surgical leaders forgotten in the era of racial reform. So basically you highlighted Dr. Roland Gandy, who was like a black general surgeon in Toledo. Um, I think he was like the first black, uh, like, a, uh, sur- like surgeon appointed to the Ohio medical board. But, um, mm-hmm. I wanted to like dig into this a little bit cause I found it really like interesting and really cool how you wanted to like look at and, and appreciate historical figures in a way. Um, and whenever I hop on this podcast and, and talk to people, it's like, in my mind, it feels like I'm talking to a person who's going to be a historical figure. So I just feel like <laughs> this is why I just I just love being able to do this. Yeah. Um, but like, where did the desire to learn about, uh, you know, past surgical leaders, particularly black surgical leaders come from? Like, where, where, where did that come from? Where did that interest come from? And, and, and what, what have you kind of learned from that? Yeah, so it all started with, um, this is when I was still between, you know, if I was going to apply orthopedics or if I should try to dual apply with, uh, like, general surgery or something in case I did match into orthopedics. And I met with uh, the chair for the general surgery department in Toledo, and we were talking about different research projects. And every year, um, someone does a research project for the historical, the ACS has like a historical uh, poster competition where you write about a historical surgeon from your university or someone that's well known in the area and you submit it, you know, for a poster competition X, Y, and Z. And he really wanted to do one to highlight a person of color that worked at Toledo. And at first it was kind of like, okay, you know, I, I honestly didn't know about Dr. Uh, Roland Gandy. I didn't really know his story and everything. And then once we started digging deeper into, and I was able to talk to his daughter, uh, who's still living in Toledo, and re- and talk to some of the physicians who still work in Toledo, uh, who work who had the pleasure of working with him in the past. It was amazing to see how much he he not only did so much at Toledo because Toledo used to be called uh, Medical College of Ohio. Um, so he did so much just with the medical school education in general, but he was very big on treating patients for the person that they are. And it was unfortunate once I started digging into his story, because since he was not a very academic surgeon in the terms of having all these research papers um, and publications in terms of the work that he did, but he was very... Um, but everyone who he worked with and uh, who knew about him knew about his technical skill and knew about the impact he had on his patients, we felt like his story kind of got lost. So then that's what really got me into understanding that so many minorities from the past, from the current, you know, and unfortunately from the future are going to get lost, you know, if they don't fit a certain mold or a certain box where we tend to highlight people, you know, if you haven't won, you know, a significant prize, if you haven't published, you know, a hundred plus publications in certain areas, um, if your work doesn't fit certain boxes, your impact can get lost. And once I understood how much his impact really contributed to the history of Toledo as a whole, I knew it was important to get his story out there. For people to understand, you know, what he did while he was at Toledo. And that, and I work with, um, he was a graduating senior at the time. Um, Darren, who's, he's a general surgery resident. Um, he came up with a title for the poster and that's truly what it was. It almost felt like we had this big historical figure, just how anyone else you will submit to this competition. However, and everybody you talk to who was around, you know, the hospital at the time he worked there knew about him and knew about his skill, knew about his impact. But if you Googled his name, it wouldn't pull up all these articles like someone else. You know, a lot of people, you know, didn't understand his story, understand his impact. And so from there, it's like, no, his story needs to be told. You know, his impact needs to be known of what he really contributed to you know, what Toledo is now. Uh, that's super powerful. I'm going to have to go back and, and like read a little bit more about about him. And I, one, one kind of common theme that I'm getting the sense of is that there's like this, um, this like drive to be, you know, 
you regardless of what boxes people want to put you in or regardless of what people may celebrate or not um and i'm really like appreciating how you go about that um and how that's guiding a lot of your interests and your career passions you know from being having a master's in public health and pursuing orthopedics and having an interest in community health you know which may not all go together in the typical box so you know what we just talked about with being a black woman in orthopedics which unfortunately doesn't go to the classic orthopedic box so then dr roland gandy you know who whose impact didn't fit what the normal orthopedic surgeon tries to have with their academic impact um but just kind of like running your own race and staying in your own lane of your personal interest and who you are and then running after that hard um is you know it's very inspiring and i'm getting a really big sense of like that's who you are that's where your interests are um you know that's what you like to highlight in other people um and i'm really excited to see the lane that, that that you carve out for yourself um in this field um and so, so now that you've clo- officially closed the, the medical school chapter of, uh, of the Dr. Brown book, um, if you could go back and tell the, the like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, undifferentiated <laughs> M1 Chanel one thing before you started the first day of medical school uh, with everything that you know now, what, what would that one thing be? Um... I think one of the biggest things is don't be scared to fail. Don't be scared to be wrong. I feel like, you know, if if you're somebody like me, I, like I said, I took the MCAT three times. Like Toledo was the only place I got an interview for to get into. And I feel like with that, you already come in the door feeling like everything's against you, right? It's like, I'm sitting in this room with, there was four black people in the class, 175. So mind you, me sitting in this room and looking around, you know, knowing, you know, you make assumptions, you know, I know about myself, but I'm sure everybody around here is more qualified. You know, they are more than willing to, you know, more than able to do things that I can't know things that I don't know. That imposter syndrome. It was a lot of pressure on me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's real. And it, it follows you. You have, again, you have to be intentional about recognizing it and not allowing it to take over in your mind and how you just go about things. Because I felt like, especially first year, not saying I never failed or anything, because of course I did, but it's it's almost like the moment you do something that's not exceeding you know, expectations, the moment you do something that it's not hitting the certain criteria. You feel like, okay, I'm not good enough. And this is, it's almost confirming the negative thoughts. Like, okay, yeah, this is why you shouldn't be here. This is why you don't belong. You know, this is why you are not fit to be in this process. And my mom would tell me, she, you know, would tell me this even since in college, because I've been crying to her, you know, since college days and old kids and stuff. Like, I don't think I can do this. It's just like, it's all a weed out process. It's all a process to weed out people who don't fit and can't grind through these moments. And for a person like you, unfortunately, if you're a person of color, especially a woman of color, it's going to be even more difficult. And they're going to try to weed you out without even recognizing that you're, they're trying to weed you out. And so if you know you're supposed to be there and you know you and you know your capability, then that's all you got to do. You know, you keep grinding, you keep moving forward, you keep pushing. You're going to fail. You're going to be wrong. And it almost feels like nobody around you is wrong. You know, nobody around you is wrong. Everybody has all the answers. That's not true. You know, people wrong. They're more wrong than you think, but you don't recognize in a moment. You just feel like, dang, you know, I only got a 60 on this quiz. Everybody else got like a 90%, you know, I'm at the bottom. No, maybe only two people got a 90 and everybody else got a 58 and you don't know that you number three. You know, it, it doesn't matter. You you truly have to run your own race. It, uh, it truly doesn't matter. And you can't be scared to fail because how are you going to come into medical school knowing everything? What's the point? You might as well just not go. You might as well go straight from college to being a doctor. Just like going in residency, you know, I'm going through the same thought processes of I'm starting residency. Almost feels like, you know, I mean, basically, as you're starting from ground zero, 
but it's not like they're expecting me to have this technical skill of an orthopedic surgeon who's been working for 20 plus years. How would that be possible? This is day one. So you can't allow yourself to think, oh my God, if I get this question wrong, I'm horrible. Like I'll never be an orthopedic surgeon. Oh my God, if I don't know, you know, this down to the very, you know, exact detail, I'm going to be horrible. No, you understand why it's wrong. You know it for next time and you keep moving forward. So that would definitely be the biggest thing is don't be scared to be wrong, to fail because it's going to happen anyway. So just be wrong and fail without stressing about it versus stressing about it and still (laughs) ended up being wrong and failing, you know, because you're going, you're going to gather the information and gather the things you need from those moments more than allowing it to pass by and for the same things to be recurring over and over again. Yeah, that's that rings very true in my personal experience to starting medical school, tons of imposter syndrome and feeling like everybody was way smarter than me. I don't know how I even got in here and being terrified to say wrong answers if I got called on or pimped or whatever and just having so much anxiety about it instead of just like understanding that that's part of the process and it's part of the process because I'm literally a student and I'm literally learning like you said like if I if I knew all of the answers that I was getting pimped on then I wouldn't have to be getting I'd be the one pimping other students and I'm not there so um <laughs> it's it's a part of the process and I I would definitely tell myself that too um and so I hope for anybody listening who's starting medical school or or early on in their training and feeling similar uh, feelings that this that this drains home. Um, yeah, because I definitely even and even to even now, as I'm starting my fourth year of medical school, it's still something that I struggle with. Um, and just always wanting to be like, I don't know, it's just like this thought that I'm when I walk into the OR, I want them to be like, Oh, like, JR crushed it. And for some reason, I feel like, okay like small mistakes will automatically like disqualify me from that sense from like from earning that sentiment or whatever and that's just not the case um and right. and so it's something that i'm going to continue to work on um i appreciate your vulnerability sharing that you know it's something that you you struggled with first year i think i think almost at least all of us as like underrepresented people in medicine struggle mm-hmm. with it but i think everybody kind of does going in um so i appreciate right. your willingness to share it and I think it's something that, um, like something you mentioned is very important is, you know, start, okay, now you're starting fourth year and you're starting to get it again. It's something that it's going to happen more than once, you know, okay, I got over this imposter syndrome second year and I'm a fourth year, I'm good. No, now you're in a whole different stage of this whole process, you know, talking to, and that's another reason why I was very intentional um, once I decided to apply orthopedics. I was very intentional about the mentors I wanted. Nobody had to look like me, let alone was a woman, you know, woman of color or anything. So I would literally DM people on Twitter, blindly email people who were black female surgeons, orthopedic surgeons, like basically, hey, I need a mentor, that uh, someone who looks like me. Can you help me through this process? And you know, I was just being very open and honest about it. You know, I did have mentors who didn't fit that box, but I know I needed people who looked like me so I could feel comfortable, just have that level of comfort to ask you questions that I don't feel comfortable asking a white old male, you know, mm-hmm. ask about your experiences, you know, ask just about the imposter syndrome you have as an attending. You've been working for 10 plus years. And in my mind, oh, you are, you're bomb. You have all the confidence in the world. You are where I want to be, but you still have these emotions and go through these spaces that have to navigate in a certain way that, you know, that just how I have to, it just looks different, you know, being into your career. So I think that's also part of the mentoring side that doesn't get highlighted as much of there's just these underlying comforts that you need from someone that you're seeking advice from, that you're asking questions about. That's almost like what's understood doesn't have to be explained. Like, if I'm talking, you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll get this talking to other minority medical students or, you know, other residents. It's like, it's almost like this click that I have with you 
even if I don't say a word to you, it's like, I understand things that you understand that other people around us won't understand. And just with that, now I feel okay. Now I feel okay. I can do this. I can go another day. And sometimes they have the confidence in you that you don't have in yourself. And that's what you need to get to the next day. Okay, I'm about to go into these interviews and I'm already surprised that this program wanted to interview me. Well, why are you surprised? You know, you got the interview, so that means that they wanted you. So why are you already doubting yourself out? Why would they interview you to not to automatically just you know disclude you? Like if this program mm-hmm. is interviewing you, but they already know they don't want to rank you, then clearly that's not a program you want to be a part of anyway. So mm-hmm. that's not even a mindset you should have going into the process. And I think that's something really big that, again, you have to be intentional about and be aware of early on so it's not impacting your mental you know, state as you're going through the different stages. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate you, you. You speaking exactly the words that I need as I'm going through this season right now. Um, so, so I really appreciate you. I'm taking notes and, and I'm, I'm like, I'm going to re- be reviewing these as the interview season comes through. I'm going to be reminding myself, I got it. I deserve it. Yes. It's real. They want it's, me. It's I earned real. it. <laughs> it's real. Like you, you really have to, like, I literally would tell myself, like, I wasn't even going to apply to Duke or in a way rotation because I literally felt, why would they want someone from Cleveland who has zero connections to North Carolina? and goes to Toledo. Like, why Why in the world would they want me? At the end of the day, you're going to miss every shot you don't take. So I knew this was a program that I really liked. I talked to a couple people. They seemed like very down-to-earth people. And so I decided to apply. And then now we're here. So it's like, if I would have allowed myself to not even think about having confidence to even try to apply myself for an opportunity like that, I I wouldn't be in the position I'm in right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's just the, that's just the self-reflection and confidence that a lot of like, you know, what we were talking about before that the self-reflection has built over time in you, that confidence. And so Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's one of the pages out of, out of the, Dr. Chanel Brown book that I'm going to be trying to incorporate <laughs> into my own here. Um, but my, my last question that I have for you um, is, as you're getting ready to start, I know you have like orientation on Saturday, and then you're going to be thrown in starting nights, uh, I think the following week, the following Saturday. Um, so as you're getting ready to start this next chapter, uh, what's one thing that you're most excited about? And what's one thing that you're most nervous about? Okay, so the thing I'm most excited about is like starting residency. And I think it helps because we were able to like move away from Cleveland. Like my husband and I, like we never lived outside of Ohio ever. So this is both our first time like living outside of Ohio and everything. It almost feels like you can be like, it's not even like I can be a new person. It's just I can really truly grow into the person I'm meant to be. You know what I mean? It's like nothing's holding me back now. Like I'm here for this own for this sole reason. And I can truly like dive deep into that reason. I feel like before this, you're in medical school. Okay. I'm diving deep into becoming a physician, but I also have this to do, that to do, you know, this mindless paper to write, whatever. No, that's not the case. Now now it's now I'm becoming the physician I've wanted to be and everything I do from this point on is going to lead me to that point. And it's exciting because it's like, I, it's almost like you get a fresh start. You get a fresh start and you can be very intentional about everything that you're doing. And I think, you know, on the other side of that, it's, it can be very nerve wracking. And what makes me most nervous is knowing that you know, I don't have all the tools. I don't have all the skills. I don't have all the knowledge. And so I don't want to allow that to not allow me to be consistent and continue to go on the trajectory that's going to get me to where I need to be. You know, it's, it feels very, I just feel very nervous knowing that, you know, okay, day one, you know, we're going to hit the ground running. It's ready to go. 
but I feel confident and comfortable because I know I still have this layer of protection around me and why I'm here. And I know I'm going to get from point A to point B. It's just a little nervous because I don't know what that looks like, but I know I'm going to get to that point. So it's going to be good. And I kind of think of it as, okay, day one of medical school, I didn't know where I was going to end up in four years. I knew I was going to graduate, well, hoping I was going to graduate, you know, in four years. But I was like, hey, I'm here. I'm just trying to make it to the finish line. And then once I got there, it's like, okay, like, okay, now I'm about to start residency. I don't know anything again, but I know that I can get from point A to point B. And as nervous and anxious as I can be, I also need to be confident and I need to know that I can do it and I will make it there and trust the process. Yeah, that's nice. I love like the idea of no matter what, I know that I'm going to go from A to B and like Mm -hmm. there's excitement in that journey. But then with every journey too, like like the med school thing too, it, it got me thinking of like, I'm going to graduate. You know, mm-hmm. I came in expecting that I was going to graduate, which is point B. But then like along that journey, there were like times where it was like, uh, life sucks. And there was times where it was like, I'm on a super high. This was like the best day of clinic or the best day in the OR. And then, you know, everything in between. And so those moments you're sure to experience in any kind of journey from A to B. Mm-hmm. And I can I can feel that like, you know, just like nervous for like I, I, I can expect there to be highs and I can also expect there to be lows mm-hmm. on the journey. But I know that I'm gonna go from A to B. I have confidence in myself and my work ethic and my ability to get to that point. But I just have to know that there's gonna be some days when I get a page, have no idea what to do. Yeah. I'm in the hospital by myself and I'm like, oh God, help me. <laughs> you know, whatever the case yeah. may be. Or I'm in the OR and the, the surgeon leaves to the other room and I'm stuck here and I'm kind of stuck and I'm kind of like shaking in my boots or whatever. But um, I think just having the foresight of knowing that like the same way that you got to be before, you're going to get to be again. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And when you think about it, like, you know, you, especially you're a fourth year now. So you have people and, you know, you're applying to orthopedics. So you have people probably first year, second year, especially if they're interested in orthopedics, like, oh my God, like you made it to this point. You know, what do you do? Like so many people are looking up to you and so many people around you want to be where you are. And you can feel like, I haven't done anything yet. You know, I haven't even made it, you know, to the place I ultimately want to be. But you have made it so much further than a lot of people have. And so when I think about that, it's like, okay, so why would I not make it to the next step? You know, why would I not make it, you know, to the step after that? And it's because, okay, I don't know the things right now, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to know them. You know, just like now, you know, people come up to me, oh my God, you know, you're so amazing. You're a role model. I'm just thinking like, I mean, I'm the same person I was, you know, two days ago, you know, a month ago. But it's like, no, you're you're doing the things, you know, you're doing the things that not only you wanted to do, you know, but that you spoke of, you know, that you dreamed of doing like you're truly living in your dream. So not just anticipating that next step. And it's hard to do that as being in medical school, that's all you do is you anticipate the next step. Okay. First is step one, then it's step two, then it's applications, then it's interviews, then it's residency, then it's fellowship. You know, it's always anticipating this next step, but okay. Like let's take a moment, backtrack and be in the moment and take it all in and really, you know, own all the things you are learning and gathering, obtaining every day. And that's part of the exciting part right now. It's like, yeah, I'm nervous because I've never done it before. I've never been a resident before. You know, I've never been an orthopedic surgery resident before. So it's it can be very nervous, but I'm also excited because I get to do it and I get to be a part of it and I get to know the things. And I get to learn the things. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it's a it's an exciting time. I'm super super excited for you. You're going to you're going to crush residency. You're going to crush intern <laughs> year. It's gonna be fantastic. Oh, yeah, speak it in my future. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak it up. It's, it's, it's coming down. Um, yeah, you're you're gonna do great things, and I'm really really excited just for the path again that, that that you carve out. I know it's gonna be a unique one. I know it's gonna be a beautiful path, um, and there's gonna be a lot of people who are gonna be 
now able to see a path that they may want to pursue afterwards mm-hmm. in somebody that they look like doing the thing, crushing it, moving from A to B, um, and just inspiring tons of people coming behind them. So I really, really appreciate you, Chanel. Um, any final last words for any of our listeners? Again, I know there's a lot of people out there who resonate deeply with you um, and who want to get to where you're at. So any any last words for them? Yeah, it's just um, biggest things are, you know, don't please don't be scared to be wrong. Don't be scared to fail. Like, take that shot, whatever that means for you. If it's reaching out to this person you're hesitant to reach out to, whether it's reach out to a program, attending a a conference, presenting somewhere, uh, getting on a research project, like do it and you will surprise yourself, even if it doesn't work out. Even if for whatever reason you email somebody and they just scold you and like give you a horrible response, you will feel so much better that you did it. I promise you, I can't tell you enough times how I like was so happy that I thought about my future self. I was like, yes, I'm so happy that you did that because no matter what, I feel good that I did this. And just like, please do not hesitate to reach out to people. Like that's another big thing. If you are somebody who's like me, who you don't feel like you have the best mentors in terms of you feel comfortable asking other people who are around you certain questions. You don't feel like your questions are being answered. You feel lost because you don't know the process. Please like ask anybody. Like there's never a time that, you know, I've reached out to somebody literally like when I say I DM them on Twitter and I blindly email people from all the way across the country that has zero ties to and was just like, hey, I need help. I need advice. Can I just take two minutes of your time? I've talked to doctors while they've driven to, you know, hours during while they're traveling, while they're doing different things. You will be surprised how people who don't even know you will take the time out to speak with you because they want to see you do well. So much, so much wisdom. Uh by you, Chanel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I know everybody listening is going to have to run this back about two, three times just to soak up everything that you said. Um, I can't wait to see you pave your own road and accomplish all of your own things. And again, everybody listening, please take heed of all the advice that Chanel said. Reach out to people. Don't be scared to reach out to mentors. Don't be scared to cold email people. Jump on those research projects. Um, Push yourself uh, because you'll surprise yourself. Uh, Thank you. Thank you again. And I can't wait to see what's next. Appreciate you, Chanel. Thank you. I appreciate you too. Good luck with everything. Well, that's it for this episode with Dr. Chanel Brown. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. She is definitely an inspiring woman. If you made it this far, thank you so much. The best thing that you can do to continue to support the show is to like, rate, and review wherever you're listening. We really appreciate it a lot. All right. Until the next one.